Hi, I'm Steph, and this is the Money Flirt Podcast. The Money Flirt was born from the idea that we all deserve to have a lighthearted, flirty, and fun relationship with money. My personal journey with money was anything but flirty up until fairly recently. A few years ago, I started to investigate the ways that I was programmed since childhood to think and behave around money. I've since done a ton of work on this area of my life in the form of coaching, spirituality, embodiment practices, nervous system regulation, and a lot more. Yes, I've done a lot, but in the past year, I've skyrocketed my money healing by doing one very simple yet powerful action on a regular basis. I openly talk about money. Shame cannot exist when light is cast upon it, and this has truly been my secret sauce for up-leveling my money habits and feelings around wealth. So I'm here to create a space for people to talk with me about their money story. I'm here to champion the brave souls who acknowledge their shame and to cheer on their success as well. No matter who you are, where you're from, or what you did, you have a money story. Time for the obligatory, let's get into the episode. Hi friends, welcome back. I'm super excited as usual about this episode. Um, You may have heard me mention the course that I'm currently taking called Trauma of Money, and today I'm going to be talking more about that experience with the course since I met today's guest, Leah, in that class. I'd like to start the discussion with the word trauma itself. Often we think of the experience of trauma, we think of major earth-shaking events that rock us to the core, or we think of extreme cases of abuse or harm, and yes, these certainly are traumatic, and there's more that we can add to the definition. Psychotherapists often refer to an alternative perspective of how trauma can insert itself in stealth, almost unnoticeable ways into our lives. They say trauma can occur as a thousand paper cuts. Tiny moments of pain that when taken as a single event are really not a huge deal, but when compounded over time can create significant harm. Money trauma can really show up like these paper cuts. Seeing a parent stress out about paying a bill, paper cut. Feeling shame for not being able to have new back to school clothes as a kid, paper cut. Chastising yourself for overdrawing your bank account, paper cut getting notified that your credit score dropped, paper cut. We may not have experienced a drastic financial traumatic event, but small moments, small paper cuts may have developed over time. And after each event, our subconscious mind has taken in that information and internalized it as fear around money, shame around money, guilt around money, or so many other maladaptive stories. The Trauma of Money course helps students unpack how trauma occurs and how to unlearn, or at least lessen, the shame associated with financial trauma. The course takes a holistic, compassionate approach to money trauma as we learn about how trauma lives in the body, how to self-regulate when we're feeling activated, and how to understand somatic responses to our money trauma. We also learn about oppressive financial systems, both how they work and how to reimagine new supportive and inclusive systems. We learn from a perspective of decolonizing wealth, which is a direct response to the current oppressive financial systems that resulted from colonialism, white supremacy, and the patriarchy. We have guest speakers and supporting materials, such as a journal called Money as Medicine by Edgar Villanueva, who guides the reader to reflect and take action toward decolonizing wealth. Before starting this course, I had never really heard that term before, decolonizing wealth. But Edgar writes in his book, 
Decolonizing wealth means redressing the legacy of colonialization, racism, slavery, and all other forms of oppression and and the resulting trauma of the inequality in wealth. He also asks the question, what does decolonizing wealth look like? So a colonized approach is one that divides, controls, exploits. And a decolonized approach is one that connects, relates, and belongs. The trauma of money course is powerful in large part from the class community. It's not only an educational space, but it's also a healing space. The course designer and facilitator, Chantelle Chapman, is an incredible wealth of information and compassion when it comes to the topic of money trauma, and I'm so glad to have found this community. I'll have more information about the course in the show notes in case you're interested in learning more about the program. Lia Landeverde is a first-generation queer Latina. She's a founder of the Riqueza Collective and the host of Mi Riqueza podcast. Leah has more than six years of experience in the financial industry from wealth management, investment banking, banking to financial literacy education. Her mission is to break generational money curses for queer women of color through finding alignment with building wealth. Leah is also an advocate for mental health, immigrants, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus rights. She really is the whole package. She's got just such a wealth of information about the financial world and how to make it work. But also she's just got such a compassionate heart and she is doing incredible work. I'm so honored to know Leah and to witness her growth because she, you guys, she is just, she's destined to really make a huge impact in this work that she's doing. So I know you'll hear it in her voice as she talks about her work, but yeah, I just, I, I'm so honored to, to call her a friend. So I hope you enjoy the podcast episode and I will see you at the end. So I want to start by saying thank you, Leah, so very much for being here on the podcast. This is such a a dream really because I know we've only met a few weeks ago, but as soon as I saw your profile and the work that you're doing through our trauma of money is our commonality. I just knew I had to get to know you and your work is just so important. And one thing that I really admire so much about your work is just the integrity and the level of care that you take in your own education so that you can be the best coach, the best mentor, the best support for your community. So that really comes through and all of the work that you do is just so important. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Steph. I really appreciate it. I think sometimes you get so lost in what you're doing and the impact you're making. You don't really realize that like you're actually touching someone's life. What you say and what you do and how you show up affects someone in their day-to-day or whether it's the seed that was planted about money or the emotion about money or the trauma of money. I think it's it's crazy sometimes to realize that just through one post I can impact so many people. That's so important to remember and that's a great um, way to start. So I just before we start talking all about your money and, and what how you grew up with money, I'd like to give you some space to talk about who you are, your business, and um, what you do. 
Yeah, so my name is Lia Landa Verde. I am a first-gen queer Latina professional. I have many roles in this space. I am a professor for incarcerated youth. I am a wealth coach, so I help people balance and find alignment with their finances. I am a podcast host myself of Mi Riqueza Podcast. And through education, I do have a strong background in finance as well with a master's and bachelor's in finance. And I'm currently working on on my CFP studies and just trauma of money studies too. I'm I'm all over the place. Gosh, you really are the whole package because that CFP, can you talk about a little bit just what that is? Yeah. So a CFP stands for a certified financial planner. We go through not only getting a bachelor's degree in whatever subject that you've had, but also taking financial planning coursework while also spending, I believe it's like 6,000, 4,000 to 6,000 hours of working in the financial industry, helping people with their finances. And you have to take a massive ass test Mm. (laughs) at the very end, of course, um, to pass and get certified. But you have to have all those requirements done before you get, you know, chartered. So usually financial planners in the financial services industry, we help plan, you know, people's retirement, their future with kids, buying a new home. It's a holistic, essentially planning, holistic wealth planning with a life perspective in there. I'm very caregiving. So this was like the perfect niche for me to enter. (laughs) Since we're talking about money, since we're talking about the psychology, I start with my easiest AKA (laughs) most intense question, which is, yeah, if you can tell us a little bit about your relationship with money growing up, any memories that you have, and what comes to mind when you think about yourself as a child and your exposure to money? Yeah. So growing up, I I remember living a good life. My parents really, really, really ensured that I felt safe, meaning having a roof over my head and food on the table. My dad is an entrepreneur, and he's one of the first Latinx individuals to move to the the town that I'm in. And so they didn't have many opportunities. So the only opportunity he could was to create his own. <laughs> and so for me growing up, money was more of a effort. My parents go to work to make money, and their money feeds me and provides a house for me, right? Safety protection. So... I knew money was hard to attain because I remember seeing my dad leave to work at like 5 a.m. He wouldn't come back home until 7, 8 p.m. And that was my life. Like my dad was always working and so was my mom. My mom was his secretary. So they were constantly back and forth, like, you know, working together. And all I understood was that money came from work. Money came from the hustle. And I knew that I needed to make money one day. So... I could provide the roof over my head and the food on the table. But it wasn't always like that. It really wasn't always like that. After I'm very well known to disclose this, but like after the 2008 recession, my my family was targeted because they were in the real estate industry, right? They they are landscaping owners and so or a landscaping business owner and so they were tied to the houses and the construction and the economy of my local town. And after the 2008 crisis, which essentially was the financial crisis, the last recession pre-pandemic, 
where there is unethical practices going on with home loan companies and investment banks were betting off these asset-backed mortgages where uh, it was it was a mess it was a very very unethical mess that had a big play to a lot of individuals in the 2008 and post 2008 because you know the those who were targeted were low-income individuals and people of color so those are who suffered the most. And after that, I really saw what money, the power money had, because I think it was around like 2012, 2011, like a few years after the recession. That's when my family kind of felt it because not only did they not have work, but then their savings was drowning and they were getting into debt because they couldn't pay their bills anymore. Then I just remember we bought a house and this was, you know, around the time of the recession. And then we couldn't pay the mortgage because the mortgage was variable interest rate and it was just getting too extreme to pay. And then all of a sudden we didn't have water to shower and drink. And then we would fight over like the shower, literally would my mom would be like, Hey, they're coming at 9am. So make sure you get your shower in before they come, come to turn off the water. Or if it was maybe the gas, you know, it was hot water, we only had five minutes of hot water. And that's it. And that's how I saw money. I saw money as the way that I lived. my parents never flashed dollar bills everywhere. And they were very humble in that sense, because they knew that their work was made through effort. So I just understood money with this correlation of my way of living. And so my way of living was now we're going to the food bank to pick up food. We're going to the food bank to make sure we have something to eat tonight. And my mom was like, hey, we're going. And at first it was very embarrassing because then you'd go and then people would stare at you. You'd see people from your hometown. And then after a little bit, you kind of get to know everyone that's there because, you know, the whole Latinx community was impacted and we were all there. We were all getting in line. And, and that's how I personally viewed money is like that it was a feeling of scarcity. We didn't have it. So we had to go to places that I had never seen in my, I didn't know what a food bank really was until I went to one myself. You know, I remember I would donate cans, but I didn't know where they went, (laughs) you know, as a kid. And this was around when I was like 12 years old. The way I viewed money was the way I lived. And it changed as I adulted because my parents were really able to rebuild what they lost. Because there's no such thing as losing or being poor, I guess, in the Latinx community. They're like, we're going to do everything in our power to make money. And and it might not be a lot of money, but they're like, we're not going to, like, at least my family's beliefs is like, we're not going to stop trying. So they kept trying and they rebuilt their wealth through failures and failures and failures. And they had no advocate. And so that's how I grew up and saw money. You have such a unique experience in some ways because it's like you saw, like you described the beginning, you know, your childhood, you had everything, you know, you had lived a comfortable life. And then you saw both sides, whereas sometimes people only experience one reality, financial reality as a kid. And so you kind of had that probably pretty jarring, right? Like experience of having everything and then losing it slowly and then experiencing a different reality. What do you think the impact was that as you became an adult of that experience? Oh, yeah. I for sure got instilled a money script that was debt is malo, like debt is is malo, which means like debt is bad. And that for me was essentially something that I held on to in my adult life. 
So another thing about me is that because of the financial crisis and how my parents were positioned, my dad really trusted me in becoming educated and becoming the next generation to provide um, for my family. When we we bank we went bankrupt and we foreclosed on our home, we were pretty much homeless at this point. He he told me that I needed to be smart. He told me I needed to be intelligent and that I needed to make an effort to get an education. And whatever I chose, I just needed to I needed to be successful because he didn't want me to live the mistakes he he did. And so for me it was really important to to study what I didn't understand. And I still do that today. I study finance and I'm continuously study what I don't understand because I had no idea what finance was and how the financial system worked. And so I pursued education in the financial industry because I wanted to know, okay, how does this work? How can I teach other people how this works one day? How can I understand the system that I'm the first generation here, so I have to figure this out for everyone. Right? <laughs> Through my education, I saw that the financial system wasn't made was made by white people for white people, and it was not made for people of color to succeed or to enter. I went through so many battles because I was like, how am I going to pursue an industry that doesn't even want me here? You know, that's how I would think. I don't see anyone represented in these financial institutions. Why would I want to work here? But the person that I am, I'm all about driving change. And if I don't see it, I'm going to do it. So I essentially entered the financial industry and I worked for my enemy, literally, <laughs> like Goldman Sachs, the investment bank that had a big play to the 2008 financial crisis. Mm-hmm. I worked for them. And because they were my last option, literally, I'm not even kidding you. I, that was my last option. It's the only job offer I got post-graduating college in the state of Utah. And I was like, you know what? I take it. You know, whatever. It's a job. At least I'll I'll get the name on my resume and get it over with, right? Through my own journey, <laughs> I was getting underpaid while I was there. I loved it at first, felt the love, drank the Kool-Aid, and then after kind of opened my eyes post having multiple episodes of depression and then not being told that my mental health wasn't a priority or that I was compared to a quadriplegic. You know, there were so many things that just went wrong there that ended up me having to resign and I resigned with no savings, $30,000 of debt, no next career move. And just all I knew is that I wanted to help people with their finances. And that's how, you know, my journey really started to get here, but it really impacted me. The money script that debt is bad as a kid went full circle into my own journey. I had my own $30,000 of debt that I had accumulated through two years of one becoming a homeowner, then the pandemic. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. This was this May that I became debt free um, through financial sacrifice. It wasn't easy either. I had to sacrifice my home that I had bought that had gained equity in order to pay off my debt. And I had to say, Leah, this is your only reset that you have. And you mentally resetted like in December because you had to make a choice of like what you wanted in your life. You were being undervalued, underpaid, not considered, and your corporate job. So now you have to make a decision. Do you fight for yourself or do you leave yourself behind? And you just, you know, sit in your terrible corporate company, try to go up that corporate ladder and see if you can make it. Or maybe you just try for yourself and see if you for yourself can make it on your own. And and all of that is is a journey in itself. But, you know, my childhood, what happened to my parents really came back full circle 
not that long ago. Hmm. I um, thank you for sharing that. I think it's really it's important to hear these stories because I, at least when I had my you know, experience with debt and like grappling with it emotionally, you just feel really alone. And then a lot of our culture is, especially around finance, can be like debt shaming, you know, and and kind of piling on to that feelings. And so I think that's really cool. What, what One thing that you said that was really stuck out to me, especially was just, do I fight for myself? I've had that experience in my life where I, I call it a no more moment, or it's like a dark night of the soul, right? And for me, it was tied to money, which is why I'm doing the thing that I'm doing now. But yeah, would, do, would you kind of classify that period of your life as just like the really big no more moment? Yeah, no, it really was. It was around December. It was a year ago. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, this is my year anniversary of just like my coming to Jesus moment is what mm-hmm. I like to call it. Hell yeah. Um, where I was just like, Leah, like, what is, what are you doing? You're so unaligned with your passion. Remember what you, why you got into this industry. Remember that. And it was just like a moment of clarity that I needed. I was unhappy with my job, crying, depressed, unable to get out of bed some days. And I was told that I wasn't going to get this raise that I needed and that I was going to lose over time, hoping that in a year I'd get promoted to vice president and get a sal- a six-figure salary that I deserved that every single one of my peers had. And I was like, well, I'm $60,000 underpaid. What do you mean? Like I have to wait another year. And after four years of just dealing with politics and corporate culture and investment banking in general, it was just, I was emotionally dying and I needed, I needed to go back to my truest purpose. And that was like my coming to Jesus moment. I had a, I wrote down on a piece of paper, like, what do I love doing? Like, where did I go wrong? Like where, what, what path did I take that wasn't my path? Because I'm I'm not happy. If I'm on my path, I should be happy, right? I should feel some sort of joy or, you know, excitement that I know I'm on the right path. But, you know, it was just me sitting there and saying, Leah, your your happiness comes from helping people. Your happiness comes from educating the underserved. You love, like, as a kid, I loved helping anyone that I could. I, I remember I was telling someone, I was like, I've been a DE&I advocate since kindergarten, <laughs> literally, because there was a kid that was getting bullied. He was Native American, and this white kid was bullying him. And I was like, why are you bullying him? There's no reason to bully him. And I was five years old, man. <laughs> like, I just, I remember that very clearly because I've always, I'm a cancer too. Mm-hmm. That's also a big play. But <laughs> I, I care so much. And I was like, I could give less fucks about this company. Mm-hmm. And here I am not caring about anything that makes me happy. So I knew as a kid that I was going to be, you know, helping people as my profession. So how was I going to get to that? How was I going to align myself with that path again? And that's the question that I kept asking myself a year ago. I was like, how do I get to that passion? And the only way I could think of was like, I'm an expert in finance. I've had, I've been in this industry for six years, you know, and education included. How can I help people again? And that's where I decided, you know, I was like, maybe I started a coaching business. I don't know if this is real or consulting. I don't, I had no idea. I was just like, maybe I do this on the side. I just help people start businesses. I don't know. Like I am good at many things, but how can I help my community again? How can I give back? So that's where my page started and I and I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to help people and I created a, you know, Instagram page and I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but I know I want to help you. Whether it's with your finances or business, I don't know yet. <laughs> Clear I'm I'm, oh, I'm discovering my purpose as we go. But mm-hmm. I just needed to be aligned with it and I needed everything else 
to be removed. Any of my financial blockers needed to be removed. And the universe did its job because it removed all of them. Wow. That's so, that's so powerful. I, I wondered too, like what, if you're comfortable sharing any of the kind of residual money scripts that you're, you may still be kind of processing or working with as you're kind of up-leveling and, and starting this, well, you're in the business, but you know, the the growing pains that come with with creating a business. Yeah, I think money scripts are forever. They're never mm-hmm. they they can be reframed, they can be rewired, they can come back. The healing process is continuous. It is not just one moment because we're continuously entering into different journeys, into different chapters of our lives where we're going to heal from something. So I right now am going through more of a acceptance phase of my life. And I am healing to enter into my my growth phase, like my real true growth phase. Mm. Because the money scripts that sit with me right now is just you don't deserve money. And this and this comes from also leaving my dream. Like I had a dream at one point to work for this corporate company and become an MD, thinking that I could change the world there. And that died the second that I left that company. And it was an ego death that I I can't explain. It was two weeks of just pure tears Mm -hmm. and my whole existence being questioned because I was like, I was supposed to provide for my family. I was supposed to go to this corporate job and get consistent income to be able to build generational wealth and help my parents retire. Now I have zero income and I have to create this out of my ass, literally. Like, I'm just like, how am I going to navigate this? And so a lot of self-doubt came in money scripts of just like, you know, you don't deserve this. You're not worthy. You know, you can't trust you know, someone's going to pay you or any, you know, these things that I thought I could get in control, but I was still forgiving myself. That's the thing. I was still forgiving myself for my past money choices. And that's something, an affirmation I love to repeat even today is that I forgive myself for my past poor money choices. And that's the affirmation I currently live by because I I don't, I don't want to feel bad for my mistakes because I had no other choice. And you know we've learned about this in the trauma of money. Um, so I'm constantly healing from what happened to me in my past, my own parents' past, because I feel like I'm healing their journey, even though they don't even recognize their own journey. They don't recognize they had this financial journey, and they just kind of moved on. But I was left with the emotional burden. And so I'm healing that. But I know right now is – the affirmation for my growth is I don't chase, I attract. What will be for me will find me. And that is the the affirmation I'm currently living by to enter my growth phase because I know my abundance is on its way because I am putting all the effort and all the work in now to, to show that this is my truest purpose. And it might not be financially pretty. I'm not making big bucks here, but I literally started a business out of nothing, out of thin air. And now I can pay my bills. I can invest. I am no longer living paycheck to paycheck or diving into my emergency funds anymore. Like I'm finally rebuilding my wealth and rebuilding my habits and my mindset and rewiring them for for growth. And it's going to take time. I'm not saying this overnight. And I disclose this with everyone because I think as a money coach, we're not perfect. As someone who's a professional in this industry, we just don't come up like we, we're not all of us had the best life and not all of us are just going to say, yeah, I'm an expert at money. I'm so good with it. Watch me. Look at me. No, there's days that I am crying and I'm self-doubting 
everything that I've done. And I'm like, oh my God, my client's lives are in my hand. I'm touching, I'm playing with their money in a sense that like I'm guiding them. I'm not playing with it, but like I'm guiding them in the direction. And I feel like, oh my God, anything could fail. And I'm, I get this self-doubt. But then I remember, I remember I have to go back to that moment and be like, Leah, why are you here? Leo, who brought you here? How did they come to you? They were aligned to meet you. You were aligned to meet them and they're helping you grow and they're helping you get perspective of different versions of wealth. And that's where I found my purpose. I found my purpose in seeing that everyone has a different vision. None of us think the same. None of us feel that we have to have the same level of 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 abundance. Like everyone is different and it's not even a number sometimes. Some people think wealth is a number, but wealth is not a number. Wealth is a is an emotion, it is a feeling, it is a vision. And and I've learned that through coaching people, through my own journey and I'm still learning and I love to learn. That's one thing that I won't stop if I don't understand. I will learn. I will educate myself. I will put myself in those shoes to to experience. And that's what I want people to do as well. That's what I tell my clients. I was like, if you're going to work with me, I need you to put the effort to live this experience with me, to educate yourself as I'm educating you, because that effort is what transforms you. Because if I didn't put that effort for me, when I was $30,000 in debt, I was forced to resign my company and I had nowhere to go and nothing to do. Like I, I was like, I have this business, but I don't even know if this is the right thing. I still pursued it. I fought for myself. I was like, this is my alignment and I have to educate myself. I learned so much starting a business and I'm still learning. And I'm and I want to because if I'm if I'm stagnant, if I'm not educating myself, if I'm not doing something for myself, there's no growth. There is no growth. And as individuals who have come from all backgrounds, I feel like the way we transform ourselves is through growth, through learning, through failures, successes. But that's all growth. My God, I'm just really soaking in everything you just said because it was, I felt you like channeling, you know, like just from your heart and from your highest purpose. And what I think is so important to call out about what you just said is just that you painted the picture of your journey and how possible it was for you, even though it wasn't pretty, even though you had your setbacks and your moments of doubt that this journey is possible and this journey is worth it and it's accessible. And even if you feel really fucking alone right now, if you're listening to this, you are not alone. People have been through this in, you know, like in a unique way with unique situations, but you are never the only person that has felt this way about money, about your self-worth and that you can hear, hear parts of your story in, in what Leah just said, because that's why it's important to hear what, what people have to say about money. Cause like, I see parts of your, what you said resonate with me, but I know parts will resonate with others. And I thank you so much for sharing that beautiful message. My God, can I make the whole thing a trailer? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's cause regardless of where we come from, we're all growing, we're all developing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing is either we're growing into our truest selves and we're working on becoming the best version of our, of ourselves, or we're just sitting there and we're not ready to heal because there's moments where we're not ready yep. and that's okay. There's moments where we're going to feel pressure to do something and we just don't have the energy to do it. Yep. That's okay because sometimes life is hard. Life is shitty. 
It's not easy. And I only say, you know, motivational things and positive things because that's what I needed to hear, even if I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I was just like, she sounds like a freaking broken record with all her affirmations and all her mantras and the way she lives. But I'm telling you, you you need this just for motivation for the day or for the moment because you'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember she said something like that. And that's what I needed to hear to transform myself. All I needed to hear a year ago from today was literally, for me, it was really just looking at my bank account and seeing how much in debt I was Mm -hmm. and then being told that I wasn't going to get the raise that I needed for my financial stability. So I was like, all right, well, my mortgage is going to be, who knows who's going to pay it. I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage. If I want to leave, I have to start interviewing. And it was just a lot of stressors all at once. And I was like, you know what, Leah, something needs to change because I cannot be this stressed anymore. It's too overwhelming. And I finances are overwhelming. They were designed at one point to be, <laughs> I swear. So one one question that I, I wanted to ask you, because I know you talk a lot about this and I, I really want to create space for this. Um, what do you say to people who don't see themselves represented in our financial system, who are feeling overwhelmed by it all? Like, what message do you have? Maybe you know some words, some, even if it's an affirmation or just some kind of advice. Because you're right. Like, you don't. These are systems that were built for one specific type of person and we're expected to just like mold into this? Yeah, I think it's really coming back to what do you want? What do you see for yourself? And how can we leverage the tools that were not made for us, but we can leverage them for us in a sense, for our version. So, you know, one representation within the financial services industry is crap. All right, we already don't see many women of color, people of color, queer people of color. You know, it just it's not yet saturated with our my community, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not it's not saturated yet from a actual you know physical representation. But what I can say is is one: if you don't feel represented, then be your representation. Mm. My whole life, I was never represented by anyone. No one looked like me. No one acted like me. No one was a child of immigrants like me. I grew up in a white-dominated town. I went to a white-dominated school. No one was going to teach me the things that these children of doctors were. Like I, I wasn't going to live that life. So I had to be the representation for myself. How could I take advantage of the tools that they have for themselves, for my own benefit? This is where we have to take advantage of the system. We have to take advantage of the knowledge that's available and accessible to us. We have to take advantage of the people who have the power because we need to regain our power. And the way we regain it is by putting ourselves in the position of power, by educating ourselves. And I'm not saying you have to get a four-year degree. You really don't. You just really need to put yourself in the position of getting access to those tools, whether through educating you know, through this podcast or through YouTube videos, Instagram posts, whatever it might be that you need to learn in order to get the power to be that person that you wanted to be and you wanted to see. I finally, and I can say this proudly, and this is the first time it's coming out of my mouth, that like I am the person that I wanted to see when I was, you know, 10 years old, 15 years old. I had to become that person because no one could be that for me. So I turned into that person and now I am that person for young kids. I teach incarcerated youth. 
And my last time teaching them was last Wednesday, and it was really hard for me to see them. I actually went to one of the facilities this last Wednesday, and I just saw them, and they're really young, and the system hasn't served them, and and you know they can only do so much. They're kids, and so all I could teach them was, okay, if, once you're released, this is your time to take financial independence seriously, to really take ownership of your finances, so you don't change, you don't continue those cycles that your parents brought onto you or that society brought onto you or the system, whatever it might be. And, and so I know they, they, cause it was a mix. It was Latino and the white community as well in there. And I just, and all my students, they're all in the state. So I had other students as well. And I told them, I was like, I don't know what you take away from this, but I want you to know that you have the power and the control over everything in your life. Don't, don't listen to anyone. If they say they can control, you No, you have the power and the control to take ownership of what whatever it might be but i want you in this class to to take ownership of your finances when you when you can get out of here when you can go back into society i want you to take ownership because i'm telling i'm not telling you this because it's not important i'm teaching this because i am going to be old 65 one day and i'm gonna still be worrying about my finances so i'm just telling you this isn't gonna leave you money is inevitable so please just if you take anything out of this, just know that you have to be the one to take ownership of your finances. And so that's what I'm going to leave the people with. My God. Yeah. I mean, you can't, people can't see me now. I'm tearing up because I think, you know, we talk in the trauma of money course about, I remember Chantel's graphic about interest compounds, like all of these money things compound, mm -hmm. but also injustice compounds and like poverty compounds. Racism so, compounds. Racism compounds. And so I think, you know, by your work is, is helping to interrupt that compounding the, the injustice, right? And you're right. It's like money is inevitable and it is you know, it's so tied to our lives and we want to distance ourselves from it because it maybe makes us feel some kind of way or makes us feel like bad about ourselves. But the more we can embrace and learn about it and just like share how it makes us feel, it's right. It's like taking that power back. And so I think that's, it's just so, it's so important. And I thank you for, for sharing that work because I'm obsessed with what you're, what you're putting out in the world. And like, you know, whatever pain that you've gone through, you're transmuting it to help others. And like you said too, a little bit earlier about your parents, having the courage to kind of like break the generational cycles, even if it's like, you know, the mentality around money, yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah. I think there's just a lot, there's a lot of work and in, in one generation, we can't cure it. That's mm -hmm. for sure. But I know that I can break at least one or two curses that were instilled in me, and I can take that on for the next generation if I have my next generation. We make it there. <laughs> but it's really just important to know that no, no matter what, it's like it's like going to the gym. You're not you're gonna hate it at first. Mm -hmm. You loathe it literally. You're like, I hate being here. But then one day you go and you're just like, it feels good. <laughs> yeah. This feels nice. Oh my God, I lost a few pounds. Wow, great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how it is with money. You know, you hate it. And this is what I tell my clients. I'm like, literally, I don't care. For the first week, just do one minute, 10 minutes. I don't know. However, you can, however long you can take, just opening an app, whether it's your credit card app or your bank app, just associate a relationship, create a relationship with it. You've got to face your fears at one point, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we can't live in fear. That causes anxiety. That's why we feel these emotions towards money because we fear it. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's trauma, which 
we're not discrediting, but in order to face them, you know, we got to put in that effort and, and really try and it's going to suck, but then it's going to get better. (laughs) Oh yeah. It definitely, it just, it does get better. Like I can't believe how I can't, first of all, I can't believe I'm sitting here making a podcast about money with like, if you would have told me this a year, year ago, I was doing better, but like, you know, two years ago, Three years ago was when I was like really circling the drain here with (laughs) the drain with like my whole money mindset and just like, what was me? Very victim. I know that that can be a very triggering word, but I was feeling a lot of victim mentality. Like there was, I felt out of my power. Mm -hmm. And so this work has been really important for me to remember how, yeah, we all have this element of, of power and that we can take back and like transmute. Yeah. We hold the power at the end of the day. We totally. Oh my God. Yeah. So one other thing I'd like to ask you, especially since we've met in that context, if you would like to share some of your insights about going through this course, Trauma of Money. I'm such a huge fan of the experience and I, I've pointed several people to to the work because when I first saw the name of the course, I was like pretty much got my credit card out to pay for it because I knew uh, there was something in that, just the name of it. And we've talked a little bit about the name of it was just like so directly to the point. (laughs) It's been great. But yeah, what have been some of your insights or takeaways? Yeah. First off, just the name itself. I literally just Googled the trauma of money and I've been talking about the trauma of money before I even knew it existed. So when I was talking about finances and sharing my own journey, I talked about my own trauma, but I didn't really know that this was a thing, first off, um, just because I was going to therapy to heal my own stuff. But then all of a sudden, I was like, there's a whole freaking course on this. Literally, when I Googled it, I had a heart attack. And literally, it was like, okay, I need to make some sales. or I don't know. I need to figure out a way to pay for this. Mm-hmm. You know what? I have felt so in line, in alignment with the trauma of money. I feel like I have a space to share my insecurities about money because I am still healing and I'm going to take ownership of that. And I finally found a place where I can share it with where someone will just be like, yes, I hear you and I see you. And that's all I want to hear. I don't need, I don't really need validation sometimes. I just need someone to say, okay, okay. You know, and, and Chantel does a really good job in, in hosting these conversations where giving different perspectives. Like I question my value constantly. There's days that I'm crying because I just feel burdened one day and my parents don't feel jack crap about what the things they put on me when I was a kid and that pressure to be successful, man, it, it, it took a lot out of me. And there's days that I cry about it and I just go to the trauma money and I'm like, feel better. Cause I just cried everyone, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm, I'm learning and healing through this course, but also I'm trying to gain all this information for myself, one to heal, but two, to, to share with others because especially in the Latinx community and, we didn't. We don't talk about feelings. No, no, no. We don't talk about emotions. I grew up never sharing my feelings. My dad literally repeats, "No tengo feelings" around the house. Literally, I have no feelings. So, in my family, emotions are just like not a thing. So, you know, I am now being able to learn how to express financial emotion. And how can I teach my clients to express those triggers and express their doubts and their frustrations and give them a space to share what they're struggling with and be able to take it in. But as an empath, I really consume energy. So I have to be like, all right, we take it in, but we let it go. 
for me at least. Mm. I'm watching Chantel and how she frames these questions and answers to her client, her, to us essentially. And I consume that and I'm like, that's a good way of framing that. Because mm -hmm. then with my clients, if someone comes to me with their trauma, I can you know, answer and reframe and, and give them a coping mechanism that I've learned through the trauma of money, whether it's gratitude practice, whether it's co-regulating or, you know, regulating by yourself. And how do you do that through breathing work? And, you know, I, we've learned so much and, and just the brain itself is such a powerful thing. I've always said money is 90% psychological money, wealth, investing, everything psychological, the brain, start, it starts there first, right? So being in this course with so many, not only Chantel, but all the professionals and advocates that she adds into this course, it's just like double whammy, double whammy with all this beautiful information. I want to be on this side of the world. Like I want to be wherever they are. Can I get into their meetings and be on their like mastermind calls or something? Because I can't wait for when we go over decolonizing wealth because we have that, you know, mm -hmm. journal with Edgar. And I, I believe he's teaching at least at one point. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm super excited because he, that perspective of decolonizing what we see wealth as, you know, I, I realized through not only the trauma of money, my work, but my purpose is like, my purpose is to redefine what wealth really is because mm. we have the power to do that. So I'm, I'm obsessed. <laughs> if, if you don't listen to this and think of like, she's going crazy over this class, like it is that good because yeah. you're in community of mm -hmm. their like healing, th literally psychiatrists, therapists are he healing themselves too. Like this is how powerful this is. Like professionals who heal other people, us included, are healing ourselves in this group. And to me, that is just, I, it holds so much powerful energy. The universe put me on this pathway and I and I'm so grateful because I met you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I want to be in the room with these people. Our last class was about reimagining capitalism, which is one of the modules that I mean I already was like sold in the title, but when I went through the modules and I saw that as a title, I thought, "Yep, we sit with these systems that we inherit without our consent." And we feel we can feel powerless because we're just one person. But what's so beautiful about being in a community of people mm -hmm. that are all like putting the fucking post-it notes about like how do we reimagine? Yes, they're like system. scholarships, this, that, charities, la la. And I was like, can we all get together and create a business, please? Can we create our, our own government, please? Right. Like, <laughs> I was like, can I can I work with some of you so we can reimagine my business and how can I make this more anti-capitalistic, please? Thank mm -hmm. you. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, I'm finally in community with people who say the same things that I do. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we met too. Um, I remember, <laughs> I remember, I think I, I was stalking Chantel and then the trauma of money. And I think you posted something like a comment under one of the things about the cohort. And I was like, mm, friend. <laughs> that was yes, like, same. I saw the money yeah. flirt and I was like, mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is powerful to be in this community, to be, you know, part of something that not only do we like resonate, but we're all, especially after the last class, like, you know, thinking a very like future mindset forward, knowing that we have the ability to to make a change and make impact by the work that we're doing on an individual level can, you know, reverberate out. And yeah, Chantel's such an expander for me because I'm just like, wow, 
see, you can create a living on your purpose and help others. The more that you're in your authentic purpose, like she is, the more impact, like she's brought all these people together and it's just like, it's exponential impact. Um, Yes, she's, she really, and the thing is like, not only is she a white woman, but like, she really is a woman that I respect because someone had asked me, you know, this course is taught by a white woman. And I'm like, I I get that. That's fine. She's had her own trauma that I had no idea about that. I would, when I heard it and listened to it, I was like, we all go through pain regardless Mm -hmm. of our skin color, regardless of where we grew up and everything in our families and culture, whatever. We all have our own version of pain and every version of pain is valid every version of trauma is valid and like in that class i really don't see no color like i i just i just see people in community wanting to heal and i have so much respect for that mm, so good all right i want to ask you my last question which i'm super excited about because i know this is really important in your work so the question is what does having a rich life mean to you? So to me, having a rich life is, I don't think of luxuries when I really think about it. I think of being able to one, fund my parents' retirement, being able to make sure they're okay and make sure that I can provide security for my siblings as well. I might be the only one and my older brother to go to college. I don't know if my younger siblings will. I don't know. Um, it's really weird because I was like forced to go to college and they weren't. But <laughs> um, I, I really want to, when I think of a rich life, I think of providing for my family, being able to know that I can protect them at any cost, at any cost, because I've been in moments where I couldn't protect them and I had nothing. I was a kid. So for me, that's number one. Number two is essentially when I think of my rich life, I think of freedom. I think of being able to, you know, just wake up one day and it's 10 a.m. and I make my coffee, I go to yoga, come back home, cuddle, and and then maybe work a little bit, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like, but I just know that I have freedom to do as I see fit. I also envision a, a – What's, what did what did Chantel say? Reciprocity? Reciprocity? Oh, what was it? Reciprocity. Yeah. I want to give back. Mm. I want to give back to my community because if I have power, if I have financial power, I can drive change, right? So I can give back to communities. I want to give back to communities of, of color, marginalized communities. I want to create organizations that fund change and, you know, help end poverty, help bridge the wealth gap in one way, shape, or form. I don't know what that will look like. But when I think of my rich life, I am protecting my family. I'm protecting myself and giving myself grace and and ensuring that I live with freedom, but also giving back to give others freedom because they deserve it too. And if I have the power to have my own freedom, I have the power to give someone else some freedom. And that is what I see for myself as a rich life. Beautiful. So good. Yeah, I think that's it. That's the stuff right there. That is, that's why this work is important. And that's why gaining and and managing and a feeling ease with wealth is important because the more we can grow in this area of life, the more we can impact 
others and the more we can give, as you said. And it's just so, it's so great. And I'm so grateful for you and all, like I say this like from the bottom of my heart, like we're really lucky that you're doing the work that you are and that you've even, you know, been through what you've been through, right? Because you have the perspective that somebody else is going to, it's going to help others. And so just so grateful. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that, I, I know I am. I know I'm helping people and I hope to, and I, sorry, my dog is having a little growling attack, <laughs> but I'm just grateful. I, I'm grateful to be here and I will continuously be grateful to help and serve a community that has been underserved, you know? Hell yeah. Oh, wow. I'm so grateful for Leah and having this conversation and diving a little bit deeper into the trauma of money. And I'm, I'm grateful for people who are sharing their struggles with money because I, I say this a lot, but when I was going through it, going through my own dark night of the soul around money, I felt really alone. I felt really shameful. And by keeping quiet, that really compounds our shame. And so it's great to just hear more stories, even when they're different from our own, to just see that we all have um, we all have a money story and not all of us have had it easy with the inner our inner world around money. So I'm just grateful to add another beautiful voice to the conversation in, in an example of how you can empower yourself to to make a change in this part of your life. So grateful. So friends, if you are ready to start exploring your own shame around money in a safe, nourishing, nurturing environment, I welcome you and invite you to check out the Patreon. There are two ways you can engage with the Money Flirt content. The first way is by becoming an all-access member, and you will receive a an exclusive podcast episode every month where I talk about my own process and my own healing journey and give practical tips on how to incorporate some of this magic into your own healing journey with money. The other way to engage is to become an All Access Plus member. And this is really where the gold, in my opinion, lies because, look, I'm just getting started with this. I have a lot to share, but I see the money flirt we're at the beginning stages. And so by becoming a member for 20 bucks a month, we're going to be in a really intimate group. I have one patron so far and it's been great. (laughs) So we have this time together to really dig deep and process. And I think that I love the stage of the money flirt right now where I'm at the beginning because I get to go deep with the people that really want to get into their money story. This is what I live for. I live for going there and like hearing your story. And I think it's really cool to start small. And so I love that I have one patron. And if there's one more that wants to join, how great would that be? A little group of three. And so I feel really proud and honored to be starting where I am with what I'm offering as a service. But I also know that from the bottom of my heart that this work is the most impactful when it's shared. So if you're feeling like you want some support in your journey, I encourage you to to check it out. Um, I'll have the link for the Patreon um, in the show notes. You can always DM me if you have any questions 
If you're wondering what it's like, basically there are uh, one hour Zoom calls for the All Access Plus, and this is the $20 a month. This is the All Access Plus is a one hour Zoom call, and I create a, a course that we go through each month and interact. It's very, um, it's loose in a sense that, you know, I create some structure to it, but we really just are going to be talking about money and our challenges. I'm, I fully am part of this as well. I have my own goals and struggles that I'm going through. And so it's really a collective community space. So if it sounds good to you, come on over. Um, it, it's, it's really, it, 2022 is going to be the year of the money flirt. I can feel it in my bones. So I'd love to have you over there. Friends, thank you for being here and I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.